0: This week, we're talking to Chris Lieferman, who just won Ironman Florida. He tells us what that was like, winning an Ironman in the midst of a pandemic. Chris was also 10th at Kona last year and had some big breakthroughs. He tells us what it took to slowly build up the work needed over years and how his wife is his biggest supporter and his biggest critic. And Chris doesn't have a huge social media following, and it's often just out of sight getting the work done. So I made him promise we'd get to know him a little better here. And first, we talk to another pro who's now doing something completely different, Joanna Zeiger. Joanna may be best known as an Olympian and 70.3 world champ, but now she runs a cannabis research foundation. And here she talks to us about what we know and what we don't know about CBD, THC, and cannabis. I'll include a link to our story in the show notes on how researchers are trying to answer questions about cannabis and how tough it can be. Stay tuned and thanks for listening. All right, this week we're talking to Joanna Zeiger, which many of you may know more as the Olympian, the 70.3 world champion, but you're talking to us today about your your cannabis research you're doing. And how did you get started researching cannabis and I don't know, CBD and all of that?
1: Yeah, it's been sort of a a circuitous route uh, from uh, being a professional triathlete for 12 years uh, to now being a cannabis epidemiologist. Uh, So I actually have a PhD in genetic epidemiology from Johns Hopkins, and I spent uh, eight years here in Colorado at the Institute for Behavioral Genetics uh, studying uh, drug use and drug abuse in young adults and uh, adolescents. So I'm actually not new to studying uh, marijuana. I spent eight years studying it just in a very, very different capacity. Right. Uh, this is a high-risk group that you don't want using uh, marijuana. Uh, I've sort of changed directions now and uh, studying more the medicinal purposes of it in adults and looking less at cannabis use disorder and trying to look more in a balanced way at um, Benefits and harms in various demographic groups who may need to use cannabis medically.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, we did a story about the the research being done in cannabis, and I understand that. Obviously, you came from an athlete background. And we all kind of are like, "Oh no, drugs are bad. Don't do." And you were like, "No, no, no, I would never use that." But you got injured, and eventually, you know, had to turn to to cannabis, right?
1: Uh, I was definitely one of those people who was very anti-cannabis. Right. I just, uh, you know, as a professional triathlete, it was banned in all forms during my tenure as a professional triathlete. The, the, the rules um, from WADA have changed. Uh, CBD is now legal and THC is considered a threshold drug, meaning you can have it in your system up to a certain level, although it is banned out of competition. Um, so I had that huge stigma as being a professional athlete. Plus I was studying drug abuse research and, you know, it was this really bad thing. You know, it just nobody, I mean, I don't think anybody there ever mentioned, gee, it might be medically useful. It was always bad, bad, bad. So it was just drilled into my head in so many different directions that you just don't use cannabis. And um, I live in Colorado and uh, it's been legal here medically for quite some time. And it was legalized recreationally in 2014. And at that point, um, I was pretty desperate for pain control from, uh, I had a bike accident at the 2009 Ironman 70.3 World Championships, and I had chronic pain from severe nerve damage. And traditional pharmaceuticals just were, I can't say they were failing me, they just weren't doing the whole job. (laughs) And so um, at the urging of my husband, I decided that uh, I would give cannabis a try. Uh, At the very least, I was hoping that it might help with sleep because I was not sleeping at all. And uh, it did. I mean, it was miraculous. I just couldn't get over how I would spend all these sleepless nights staring at the ceiling to suddenly being able to sleep a full night.
0: And so you started, I mean, obviously then you, that kind of, you know, personal, personal anecdote though, isn't science and you're a scientist. So you were like, all right, let's go study this. And it turns out there's just not a ton of research, right? I mean, it's kind of all over the place. It's a little hard to pin down and that's partially because of regulations and everything.
1: Yeah. So when I, you know, when I turned to the research and I started speaking with other cannabis users, um, I realized there is, uh, there was a lot of anecdotal evidence that it could be helpful for a variety of, uh, medical ailments, uh, particularly, uh, with seizure disorders. Uh, it was very helpful and, um, MS, multiple sclerosis, they were finding that it was helping with spasticity and there had been a few, uh, uh, clinical trials, very, 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 very tiny with, uh, fibromyalgia. And so that really piqued my interest. And as a researcher and epidemiologist, um, I, you know, I, Realize I was sort of in a position to do the studies that weren't out there because um, there's this huge bias toward looking at the negative aspects, even today, when we know that there are medical properties. Uh, there's just a huge, huge bias both in the grants that are given out and what's published in the literature toward the the negative, you know, the adverse, uh, <laughs> what it could do to your brain and how it impacts driving and you know, psychosis. And, and don't get me wrong, these are incredibly important things to study. But when you focus so much on that, you're missing out on the opportunity to look at, well, how can this help patients who are suffering in their health and well-being maybe be helped by this? And so that was why I um, developed first Canada Research Group. And then now we have a nonprofit foundation, Canada Research Foundation, with the mission of studying cannabis medically, looking at benefits and harms and patterns of use in various populations so that we can uh, educate them and give them information on how best to use cannabis to get the maximum benefit with the minimum harm.
0: Yeah, I mean the research, I was really fascinated by some of the obstacles to achieving this research. Like to have a federal grant, you have to use only like this one strain that's approved in this one, like grown in this one place federally. There's obviously lots of, the University of Colorado right here would lose some of its federal funding if it did research on campus. It's all very complicated.
1: Well, yes. Studying cannabis, <laughs> there, there are so many hurdles and you have to be, and, and you, you mentioned University of Colorado, and they've been incredibly creative uh, with how they've gotten around some of the regulations. Uh, they have a, uh, uh, what they call the Canavan that they actually drive around to people's houses so that people can you know, use cannabis um, you know, off-site, not on campus, not in view of the researchers. And then after they do whatever it is they do, then they come onto the bus for the testing that needs to be done. So that's a very creative way to get around it. Um, for, for my group, Canada Research Foundation, um, we are doing primarily epidemiologic studies. So we're doing surveys. So we are not touching the drug at all. I mean, I hope at some point um, we can get into clinical trials. But the difficulty with clinical trials is that right now, even though it's legal in states, it's federally illegal. So on a federal level, um, you have to have a special license to be able to um, study it in a clinical trial. And like you mentioned, you can only get it from a single source, and that's the University of Mississippi and they notoriously have terrible cannabis. It does, not, um, it, it, it does not replicate what one would purchase in a dispensary. And so researchers are very upset because they're getting um, basically pre-rolled cigarettes that have stems and other kind of crap. And their, their study subjects smoke it. And they're like, oh, my God, what is this yuckiness you're giving me? And there have been lawsuits around it. And so, people don't want to use that cannabis because they don't know if they can trust those results because it wouldn't be the same thing a purchase uh, somebody would purchase at a dispensary. Hmm. So there, there are a lot of hoops that people have to get through to be able to study cannabis and really understand what it's doing.
0: And so, obviously, you—I mean—you've mentioned all kinds of different aspects, but you've been st- started out studying it from an athlete point of view. Can you tell us some about what you've learned about cannabis in athletes' benefits? you know, downsides, what do we, how prevalent is it? I think you surveyed people and it's pretty prevalent actually.
1: Okay. So um, <laughs> did, um, do you know the prevalence? Did you read the study? Or-
0: I, I read you did a piece survey and it was like 26% of yeah. athletes said in the last two weeks they had used it.
1: Yeah. I was going to ask you to guess if you hadn't looked at it, <laughs> just to see but yes, um, we, we found that about 26% of athletes said that they had used cannabis in the last two weeks Um, And that's actually a pretty short time frame. I mean, if we had lengthened that out to four weeks or uh, most studies, will actually use six months. Uh, But we we really wanted to capture current cannabis users, like people that were using it regularly and using it, you know, six-month use is a very, very long period of time. And we also felt that uh, by asking past two-week use that the recall bias would be a lot less, that people are going to have a much easier time remembering what they've done in two weeks versus what they've done in the past six months. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we found also that um, athletes have a lot of pain. Um, Almost 50% indicated they either had acute or chronic pain. And uh, there was a very high percentage. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but um, maybe in the seventies percent did say that cannabis was alleviating pain. And we had a high percentage said that it helped sleep. And it decreased anxiety. It it helped with calm. Um, And we also found that the positive effects far outweighed the adverse effects. And adverse effects, uh, the the most uh, highly endorsed adverse effect was uh, increases appetite. And then we also found decreased concentration. And uh, ironically enough, uh, it decreases anxiety, but in some people it increases anxiety. But the percentages of those adverse effects were much lower than what we found for the the Mm -hmm. benefits. So, you know, like anything else, um, with the good comes the bad. And and, uh, for many of these athletes, even though they experienced adverse effects, uh, I guess they felt that the benefits outweighed it. So they continued to use it.
0: Yeah. um Yeah. I mean what I th- when, I think whatever you ma- whenever you tell someone who's not an a- like to talk about this they're like I don't I wouldn't want to race wall high that sounds terrible but that's not really we're talking more about like pain management kind of after an event right uh
1: you know we didn't yes we did look at whether athletes are using um before like uh within an hour before during or within an hour after exercise And uh, very few athletes are using it during exercise. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're mostly using it post-exercise uh, for things like recovery and sleep and, and uh, things like that. Uh, so, yes, most athletes are not getting high and going out and exercising. Although, you know, if an athlete does have severe anxiety, you know, maybe getting a, a little bit high helps them uh, with that anxiety. Uh, and, and the other thing is, in, in the, the world of cannabis, there's something called microdosing, where you're taking mm-hmm. very small amounts um, so that you're not getting high, but is helping you with whatever ailment you're trying to treat. And so there are a lot of ways to use cannabis uh, and use it during the day and use it responsibly uh, without being impaired. And, and that's by adding uh, big doses of CBD to the THC, which will sort of take away that effect of being high.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause CBD is obviously what we see everywhere now. Um, and THC is kind of like you mentioned earlier, which we'll talk about in a second, what's regulated by WADA, by doping controls.
1: And it also can make you feel impaired.
0: Right. It's not. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's the other half
0: of it. Um, can you talk, let's talk for a second though, because we do have a lot of people who say, you know, well, this is a drug. If it has these performance enhancing benefits, how is it not a performance enhancing drug? Right? Like why should we allow this? Why is this permitted? Um, and it sounds like the difference primarily comes between the CBD and the THC, right?
1: Um, no, I don't no. think uh, particularly necessarily that's the, the answer. I think that, you know, when I, we, we asked athletes, do you think it's performance enhancing? And only 15% said yes. And um, I recently read a study that also concluded that um, cannabis is not performance enhancing. It doesn't increase your VO2 max. It doesn't increase your lactate threshold. Um, So, you know, if you look at specific performance parameters, cannabis is not improving that. Now, does it indirectly improve performance because you sleep better and it might help with inflammation and it might help with anxiety? Well, the answer would be yes, indirectly. But so do many other modalities or other medications that athletes are taking. They're using non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like Motrin. Um, they're they're taking benzodiazepines. They're taking antidepressants. They're they're using caffeine, um, so they're they're using a myriad of drugs that could also be considered performance enhancing in the same capacity that cannabis is. Um, but I would venture to say that cannabis might be um, less invasive to the system than some of these other things that athletes are using.
0: Okay, and, and in terms of the regulations, you did say earlier that there is it is controlled by the anti-doping agencies, but under the parameters that you said, it's not universally banned or anything anymore?
1: CBD is not banned at all. So CBD can be taken um, as much as somebody wants. THC is what they call a threshold drug. So if they Mm -hmm. test you, then your level of THC in your blood must be below a certain level. And it's not legal in competition. Now the issue with this whole notion of a threshold drug is, Well, we can't say if you take X milligrams of THC, you'll be below that threshold. Everybody metabolizes it differently. Um, There are some schools of thought that um, heavy bouts of exercise can actually release THC into the bloodstream.
2: Mm. So you may not
1: have used it for quite some time, but you could still test positive because you did a bout of exercise and, you know, it got sort of reactivated. So there's a lot we don't know. So if you're being drug tested, the safest bet would be to not use THC at all.
0: Oh, right, right. And the other issue, right, is that some of the CBD products are not fully regulated yet because of these same, because it's not federal. And, um, and that's come up a few times too.
1: So, one of the issues with CBD is that it, it um, so THC is, is purchased at a dispensary. And mm-hmm. at least here in Colorado and in many other states, um, it has to go through some kind of um, state regulated testing before it can be sold in, in the dispensary. And so it's being checked for, you know, various things like mold and pesticides. It's also being tested uh, for purity and and, uh, to make sure that it has the amount of THC or CBD that they say that it has so that when you buy it at a dispensary, you know what you're getting. It comes with a certificate of analysis. When you buy CBD, um, you go to the supermarket or to the drugstore, you go online That's not necessarily true. Um, A lot of CBD companies don't have third party testing. They don't have a certificate of analysis. And independent testing groups that go out and just buy CBD off the shelf have shown that CBD can be contaminated with other things. It could have THC in it, it could have zero CBD. You just don't know what you're getting. Uh, But fortunately, a lot of these sites will tell you. Uh, which companies are reputable that that are transparent that have a certificate of analysis and that you can actually trust them so if you're going to purchase cbd do your homework and purchase it from a reputable company
0: that makes sense and and obviously this is still kind of a lot of these things are being developed you're still working on a bunch of research about cannabis what are you working on right now in terms of you know that you can tell us about what what, what should we be expecting to see from you
1: Well, um, we had three papers published from our athlete study, which was very exciting. And we presented the data at three conferences. Um, And because of the success of that, and because I love working with athletes, being an athlete myself or uh, a former athlete and current, uh, I don't know what you would call it, uh, (laughs) person that likes to get out and exercise in some capacity, uh, we have several athlete initiatives that we're trying to get off the ground. Uh, We recently finished a study uh, looking at cannabis use in people with uh, allergies and asthma, and we wrote up a paper, and that manuscript is in review. Uh, We're hoping to do a study um, similar to our athlete study in people with rheumatic disease, and we're also hoping to do a study uh, looking at knowledge, attitudes, and practice uh, in uh, physician groups. So we have a lot of initiatives in the works and uh we're just going to continue plugging away at it so that we can get enough information that we can start educating patients uh athletes um physicians dispensaries on really you know dosing you know that's mm-hmm. a good question people have how much should i take how often should i take it what ratio of thc to cbd should i be taking there're just so many unanswered questions And we're hoping to at least get some kind of insight to give people the information they're craving.
0: What are the most common questions you get from athletes?
1: What should I take? (laughs) Okay. And, you know, the the thing I always say is, what are you using it for? You know, I, I, I sort of, you know, tell athletes, you've got to come up with goals for cannabis the way you would goals for your athletic endeavors. You know, you can't just say I want to feel better. That's too nebulous, and that's too hard to um, define and figure out what better is. And so, if you have an Achilles injury and you want to get your injury better, that's very specific. And so, you know, the things I tell athletes are, you know, figure out what it is that you're trying to do with cannabis. Um, write down what it is that you're taking. Figure out how much you're taking. One of the biggest issues that athletes have, or anybody has, is they have no clue what their dose is. Um, A lot of the companies don't make it easy to figure out. So determine what dose you're taking. Um, If, uh, you know, talk to your doctor before you start a cannabis regimen, Uh, write down everything that you're doing so that you know if it's working. Uh, There are apps that can keep track of it. And then there's the the famous mantra that I always say, start low, go slow. So start (laughs) at a very low dose, work your way up slowly because your goal is to find, the minimum dose that gives you the maximal benefit.
0: Okay. Makes sense. Uh, well, thank you so much for talking to us. And I'm going to include the link to the story in our show notes so people can read it. Is there anything else you want people to know before you go?
1: Uh, if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing, you can visit uh, cannerresearchfoundation.org and there's a donate button there. We're always looking for funds to do our research and, uh, you know, to any of the athletes that have participated in our studies or are interested in participating in future studies, uh, we appreciate your time and effort.
0: Interested in triathlon, training, gear, tips from the pros? Subscribe to the Triathlete Magazine podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes of the Triathlete Hour drop every Wednesday. Our gear podcast, Gear Up comes out the last Monday of the month and our training podcast Fitter and Faster arrives on the mid Friday of each month. Subscribe so you don't miss any of these great episodes. All right, this week we're talking to Chris Lieferman, who is now the four-time Ironman champion since you just won Ironman Florida, 10th at Kona. So, I mean, I think we're going to talk about it in a second, but I want to hear all about Ironman Florida, but I feel like Chris you're kind of one of those athletes. Push your heads down, gets the work done. You don't have like a big social media presence. People are like, "Chris, who?" And I feel like we're gonna we're gonna open that up now. We're gonna like let people get to know you. It's gonna be great.
2: <clears throat> yeah, thanks. I. It's funny you say that. I don't have that social media presence, and people are like, "Chris, who?" And I just, yeah, I do. I put my head down <laughs> and get the work done. And I don't, I don't like drama. I don't need drama. I'm not gonna make drama. <laughs> I'm not I'm just gonna I'll prove it on the race course. Yep. Okay.
0: I do feel like people need to know I met Chris because like a mutual friend told me I could come swim with you guys in this pond and I showed up and it was like this tiny little pond behind someone's house. I never yeah. met you before. I was like, Guys, are you sure there aren't snakes here? And you were like, No, we've seen snakes <laughs> <laughs> like,
2: <what the> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're swimming on the top end of the of the lake from where we push off at and it's a big bull snake, like five foot long, and Justin was in the front, and he just kind of stops. He stops, and then I I see that he stops, and he just puts his hands up. He's like, "Dude, look, snake!" And that was
0: it. That was did, it. Just did you guys on, finish on the swimming. workout? Yeah.
2: Oh, we continued. We watched a snake just kind of float, you know, maybe about ten feet away from us, and then it, um, you know, finally uh, got to land, and then we continued continued swimming. But every time. We swam through, we ended up calling it Snake Cove. Uh, every time we swam through Snake Cove, guy, your head is out of swivel. You sight like three times as much as you normally do because you're just waiting for another snake to come across.
0: Oh, yeah. That I think was the fastest I've ever swam after you guys did that, said that, did that to me. I was like, oh my God. So- yep. So you did just win Iron Man Florida which was the only Ironman that's happened in North America this year. And now without you know Arizona happening, I think it's going to be the only one we see in the U S period yeah. this year. What was that like? I mean, what kind of protocols did you have to go through? How did you like deal with all of that?
2: Yeah. So they're super dialed when it came to the transition area, like in race with, with the athletes, a mandatory mass, they, they handed out N95 masks, which are like the, the high end, um, super protective ones. And so every athlete had that, that hand sanitizer, um, uh, stations around, they really spread out the racks and they did a really good job in transition. They, I felt that it was a little weird that they were concerned about touch points. So they had the eight stations on the run two miles apart, but on the bike, and, and so the aid stations on the run were two miles apart to have less contact, and you had to pick up your own aid, which is fine. You know, as you go by, you pick up your own cup. Um, but on the bike, they had five-ish aid stations, and they had everyone, like, handing them out as you bike by, which I'm glad they had that because there's no way I'm going to stop and pick up my aid station during a race. <laughs> but a Gatorade bottle, you have to open up the cap. You have to pull off the, the – the um seal the thing, foil yeah. seal thing and you're working with a bunch of volunteers who you know if they were wearing rubber gloves or plastic uh, latex gloves you know what's to say that they weren't rubbing their face mm-hmm. uh, i mean all the other things touching their phone and pulling off the seal cap that we're now using um and then they then they go to the run and now a stations are every two miles and you have to pick up your own aid I'm like, you gotta, consistency, it just seemed yeah, like yeah. the consistency oh. wasn't there and having an A station every mile would have, I think would have been better for the athletes. Um, definitely right. would have been better for me. Definitely struggled on that run. <laughs> um, but other than that, no, it was, it was good. It, it was a little anticlimactic crossing the finish line because there nothing, no one's there except for the, the media crew, um, Mike Riley, he was standing behind the gate. Like usually when you cross the finish line with, and a Mike Riley race, he's like, he's got his arm over your shoulder and, you know, he's giving you a quick interview and, uh, I mean, he's just blowing up and that, I mean, there's so much excitement. Like even as a professional, mm-hmm. I get excited about Mike Riley being at a race, <laughs> you know? And, and I, I know age groupers kind of pick that race because, Oh, Mike Riley's going to be there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Even I get excited, but at this, at this event, it just didn't have that, um, that extra excitement. Was he like, he was like uh, behind
0: a wall or something.
2: You know what? I really didn't see him. (sighs) Mm -hmm. I came across that line pretty delusional. (laughs) Um, you know, happy had a smile on my face and was doing everything I could to just kind of keep my composure. But, uh, he, you know, he was, he wasn't in the, in the shoot like, um, he normally would be. And there's just no one else around. Um,
0: what do you so, feel like it was like? I mean, were there spectators out? Like, what is it like to win a race in a pandemic? I mean, you just said it's not as exciting, but what <clears> is it even like to race? Like you haven't got to, I guess you have done a couple of smaller races. You yeah. haven't really got to to race this year.
2: Oh, uh, no, it definitely feels good to to win that Ironman brand. There, There's definitely um, a lot of value to win an Ironman brand race. Okay. You know, winning Great Floridian just doesn't have that same vibe cause, because it's, kind of like a grassroots uh director they did they did a great job down there and it's been like 35 37 years in the making um not in the making but they've they've had it in a row so it's, it's a well-established florida race but still just to to have the iron man brand actually does um have a lot of value to to win and to race and um the spectators on the run I guess it wasn't too bad because at the, the top end turnaround point, so it'd be the start of the run and then you'd catch it around at uh, 21K and then at the finish, there's actually quite a bit of people mm. um, sitting or standing there at the, uh, the barriers, but they couldn't get any further in towards transition or towards the finish. So I think they were kind of pressing their, pressing their limits to you know get as close to the finish as they could. Um, so there, there actually was a decent amount of people on the really? run course. Yeah. So there's even some homeless people handing out water bottles at the, <laughs> the bottom end of the course. I didn't take any. I was a little skittish about that one. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there's, is interesting. I think it was, as far as spectators, I think can, that's a, the hard thing about triathlon is that there's no venue necessarily. So you can't not tell the public. Right. To come out and um spectate because right, right. it's open public roads so i think everyone showed up and just like any other iron man everyone's bringing a support crew with them so one athlete has say let's say three people i don't know there's probably a number behind that but
0: the average um, is six apparently but i feel like are uh, you serious that's what i've heard but i feel like you Holy might have been crap. under that so <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah um so it, yeah just multiply that uh, that the, the number by every athlete there. And it, it did feel like they were all there. All yep.
0: right. And I guess the big question is, right, was everybody fit and ready to go? Like, do you feel like you were pe- ready to go? How are people coming through this year? What have you been doing this? Uh, besides snake pond sp- swimming, yeah.
2: <laughs> I can't speak for everyone, but for me, it was a total off year. Okay. Um, but I'm fortunate it was at the end of the year so that we could, I say we, me and my coach could, um, come up with a plan and make something of it Mm -hmm. um but and i don't know i I think if you show up to an ironman you can't you can't show up half-assed if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um it's it will it will tear you apart so i think everyone showed up ready to race an ironman whether or not it was kona-esque fitness or um maybe just a normal qualification race. Mm -hmm. But for me, like, uh, obviously the COVID, I broke my ankle. We have a baby. He's three and a half months right now. So I had a lot of hiccups in this year that, um, had to deal with. So to be able to the line was awesome. Being able to win was just pretty, pretty rad.
0: Yeah. How have you been dealing with this year? Uh, Like what have you been doing to get through it besides just doing all the work, you know, doing the training?
2: Uh, That's exactly it. (laughs) Um, I mean, just doing the work, doing the training, keeping the head down and not trying to get caught up in other people's social media or Strava. Um, You
0: didn't do any Strava KOMs this year?
2: um, I don't know. I'm not on Strava. So (laughs) I really, it just has zero relevance to me because I'm not, that type of person to just really hammer. I don't know. I'm not, I'm a triathlete. So makes me, I'm a subpar swimmer. I'm a subpar cyclist. I'm the subpar runner. But if you put it all together, I can make something happen.
0: Yeah. And you actually started out as a, a wrestler and a football player, right? So how, I mean, yeah. you look like a wrestler and a football player. I got to tell you, how did you end up in triathlon? Your brother signed you up for one.
2: Yeah, he did. So I was, Actually, down in Pagosa Springs, I was building a house, and I started running every other day. Well, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, me and my dog, Oakley, we had had this four-mile loop. And um, so this would have been my – in between the summer of my sophomore and junior year of college. And so I just wanted to lose some weight. Next thing you know, I was actually feeling good. It just made me feel just better. (laughs) And my brother was really into cycling and um he got me this he pulled out a frame um out of a dumpster fixed it up gave me a bike signed me up for a triathlon and goes well you better start swimming and um so jumped in the water i had no idea what i was doing i was watching people do flip turns like i'd I'd creep underneath the water and see them as they flip turn and um uh just kind of put it all together i won my very first race and it just kind of snowballed from there and i'm um, having the support of my family and they're all excited my little brother ran uh collegiately and my older brother was in um into cycling and then i was in the triathlon so we all kind of had this a uh, little bit of competition amongst us brothers and
0: i would guess um, you're like the best now though right I- yeah. <laughs> yep.
2: <laughs> yeah. I have. Um, yeah. Life kind of caught up with the rest of the brother's work and family and I was fortunate enough to be able to hang on and continue as a career.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you, it's not like you ever planned on becoming a pro either right? you had, you're going to be like an actual job, a real job.
2: Yeah, totally.
0: And so why, I mean, what made you decide, you know, screw that triathlon instead
2: it never I never really felt like I made that decision. Okay. It was cuz I was going to school for wildlife biology at the University of Minnesota and then uh transferred out to CSU where I um started taking kinesiology and health exercise classes and mm-hmm. Because I because of those classes, and then I joined the triathlon club team there, and it was just more of a community to join of like minded people. And um, you know, I was still going to school, still had, had still had ambitions to continue as um,
0: a biologist as a, a wildlife, yeah, yeah, as a
2: biologist or exercise uh, physiologist. And I met my wife Zanna at CSU, and that's where we ended up doing our first pro race and I won my very first pro race. Really? Um, yeah, it was Memphis in May. Oh. So then, um, just kind of was like, Oh man, maybe I do have a knack for this. So, uh, then I just started racing more and still going to school and still working, but the races ended up not being the results weren't too bad. And that it just, I don't know, just kind of uh, um, the um the the pursuit in triathlon that I had organically taken had over had overcome my um desire to pursue anything th- as a professional in something else in the the field of my degree. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Do you think you're going to become a wildlife biologist after you're done triathloning now? No. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: no. Um I'm pretty handy and uh, my wife's in real estate and she's crushing it and it's just really fun to watch how good she is and her gen how genuine she is as a agent and um and flipping houses I think hmm. is something or not maybe not you know right away flipping houses um but uh doing handyman work and working with my hands I get a lot of gratification work with my hands
0: so you're gonna I'm go work for your triathlon. wife okay yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah no, I'm not working for my wife. Don't say it that way. <laughs> I'll be working for myself. My wife will be aside me working with me. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I mean, you guys did um, you did at one point have like a saddle sore company. I mean, you did do other yeah. things. Yeah. Does that do you yeah, still no. have that? No.
2: Um, yeah, no, we're we're pursuing that. Um just found out that marketing isn't either of our strong points. And um, at this at the, at the point of of that company um, Soother, uh it uh, Zana started getting into real estate and mm-hmm. just started you know taking that direction and right. um, yeah slowly dissolved
0: oh yeah because it did seem like it's one point I mean you uh, definitely used to do a lot more different things and now it's like very focused it seems like
2: oh absolutely no I was in I was doing handyman work and um, going to school and then yeah pursued that yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's it's like I never like. In my mind, maybe you, you look, you think about this differently. In my mind, I was never like, I need to, I need to take this one hundred percent focus. Right. Because even even when I did, I was still even now I'm still doing side jobs.
0: Really? Which side jobs?
2: Yeah, uh, electrical work, handyman uh-huh. work. Yeah, nothing that is like a full day's job. But I'll put in you know three hours here, three hours there for people. It um. Yeah, that's another thing that kind of gets out of hand is I'll do a good job for someone and they tell someone else. And all of a sudden I have 15 uh, voicemails on my phone of people wanting uh, work. And I'm like, holy crap, I cannot be doing all of this. Um, (laughs) But it does give me hope for after triathlon that I can put something
1: together.
0: All right. So you never, so a lot of times I talk to people and they like made some clear decision where they were like, I have to go 100% in. I'm going to quit my job. But you never, you're saying you never like, fully decided that it just sort of slowly happened. You got like more and more serious and training more and more. Yeah. It just
2: got more and more serious. I guess the hours elsewhere did go down, but I'm also noticing that when I do go do a side work or if I go spend, do something on the house here, that it helps me with my racing because Mm. it's, it's a void that I need fulfilled. And I think that over the years of growing up, we were always just hard working you have to work for that dollar um my dad he busted his ass and still is um even after retirement um and he, yeah all of his life all three of my of my brothers are you know working hard and it's just so so it's weird where he here i am i go for a bike ride and i sit and watch on netflix And then I eat something and then I go for a run and then I come back, sit and watch some Netflix. And, you know, it's just like, it's such a, a weird way to live. But, um, so, so now I look at my brothers and my, and my dad and my mom and it's like, I feel guilty. So, 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 so when I do go out and do some manual labor, it, Oh man, it fills a void for sure, and I think that actually helps with my triathlon.
0: Okay, that's interesting. I mean, yeah. I certainly hear things like that, but never exactly that way. Okay. Yeah, but you did. I mean, so you you kind of mentioned as you were getting better and be, like you kind of had some success early, 2015-16, 6, You you know were doing pretty well. And then you got hurt. But then you had really a big breakout year, like 2008, last year in 2018. I would say end of the season. Yeah. What, did you feel like you did something different? Did you feel like you came back from injury, like more focused? Like what changed? Because you went. I mean, you won two Ironmans. You were tenth at Kona last year. Like that's pretty good.
2: Pretty good. Um, I think just the compounded years. Yeah. I don't think that it was. I mean, I was injured a lot, and um. Fortunate. Well, my last injury, I crashed on my bike. And so that I don't consider that like, I mean, it's an injury, but it's not, wasn't a stress injury. I, I, I look at stress injuries and accident injuries different. Right. Um, previously I've, I probably had three stress fractures. Um, I've had sciatica for two and a half years up until like a week ago two weeks <laughs> ago I kind of figured it out no no joke I figured it out the week before Ironman Florida really and I've had it for two and a half years um so it's it just kind of things like that um and now with, uh, with a different coach I feel that my body's healthier mm. and I'm able to link Uh, sessions and weeks and months, you know, back to back to back and be able to, I guess, work on physiology. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you look at the talent of people across the board, there's, there's an underlying physiology that makes everyone good. Um, You can't just go and hammer out as many hours or do the exact same workouts as I do and expect to be as good as me. So, or, or of anyone else that's of high caliber. So I think just being able to link all those years back to back to back is what has helped with my success.
0: Well, everybody wants there to be a secret, Chris. I wish, you know, you had like a sp- a different answer. <laughs>
2: well, I wish I had a different answer too. I really don't. I mean, have a couple beers every night and there's your answer. I, I know. I
0: do feel, I feel like oh, we should say uh, we both have beers. <laughs> <We are. laughs> yeah. So like, what did you I'm figure not... out with your scatica, sciatica though? What do you mean when you say you figured it out?
2: Oh, man. So I just I think I wasn't working with the natural curvature of my spine Hmm. and I was trying to force something that maybe I read or uh, PT told me about or something, you know, along the line. And then it was just two weeks ago, which, yeah, what it was two weeks ago that I just kind of just, just screw everything I've heard. I'm just going to figure out like my intuition and in which I'm, I feel dumb that it took me this long to figure out, but you know, you, you put a lot of faith in the, in the, in the, in the PTC go to. And recently I, I found a really dialed PT that I love seeing now, but um, it's, yeah, I was just like, I'm going to figure it out for myself. And yeah uh ended up working i mean it, it, it sounds so stupid but it was as simple as just like wow why why am i why am i forcing the natural curvature of my spine to be different like no you should be i don't know i'm not okay. i'm not sound making any sense but it's just that's just because it, it was just it was just so nonchalant how i figured it out i was just sitting there
0: you're sitting I'm like there, why right? are you doing that why are you
2: doing that <laughs> And I started started like moving my my lumbar spine. I'm like, why? You've been doing that forever. Like, no, oh, this feels so much better. And then I then I stopped feeling the um, the uh the numbness or the deadness down the huh. lateral side of my left leg, and probably took a week to kind of transition out of there because I did have a bulge in my right in my in my disc uh, from an MRI that I had two and a half years ago. But that bulge was never getting lessened because I had always been compromising it. So, hmm. um, yeah, I think that'll, that'll help.
0: Okay. And you were hurt earlier this year too, right? Yeah, well, I crashed on my bike and broke right. my
2: ankle. Right. And, um, and, yeah, the tendons got completely torqued all that crossed the ankle joint. So that was the biggest issue. The bone healed really quickly. It was the the tendons in the area that definitely restricted me.
0: And you had a kid but... this year. You did also have a kid. I saw you <laughs> I saw you at the pool like a week after and you were like, "No, no, yeah, I'm yeah. sleeping plenty." And I was like,
2: <laughs> <laughs> "Well, I think I have a great wife. Jana is amazing and fortunately baby Cruz is also a good kid. So I think we're we're lucking out um and it's one thing to go out and be asked to do an interval ride mm-hmm. the day after no sleep. It's another thing to go sit behind a computer and go no sleep without without with on low sleep. Right. And it's just being an endurance sport, sleep is everything. Um and there's a few nights that are sacrificed a bit, but Again, I'm glad that I had Xana to really help uh me continue to train.
0: Yeah, I mean, so he's like three now, four now, months old?
2: Three and a half, yeah. And you yep. guys
0: take him camping. You like you're big into the camping training trips. I've like you yeah. I watched your whole little PTO video where you like took him off camping and went on a whole thing. Wasn't
2: that a cool video? Yeah. I thought that was a really well done video. Um Yeah, the uh yeah, we just took him. I don't know. <laughs> just like <laughs> what else are you going to do? You, you kind of think about what they did back in our, the primitive times, like they just got to go. And that was kind of it on day. eight, We did crack a little bit, um, or a lot of it. We went home, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he was, he was a trooper and, um, it's unfortunate that we can't take him anywhere else. Cause well, we're not going anywhere given the climate of 2020. But, um, uh, yeah, like we really just want to take him everywhere and be part of he's – a, he's a part of our lives.
1: You know, right. we're not changing our
2: lives because of him. Well, we're flexing our lives. I was like a little bit. Because you, yeah. you have to. You have to. But he did join our life. So we're trying to continue <laughs> our lives as much as possible. And he's along for the ride.
0: Okay. All right. But you yeah. didn't ma- – I mean you are – It is true. You can't really take him anywhere, especially with the spiking case right now. And I would imagine you're also don't want to bring anything back as you're doing these races and stuff. How are you like you thinking about that? I'm assuming they're not coming with you to Florida or any of these things.
2: Well, Zana will be. I think my mom's going to come down from Minnesota and watch Cruz. She watched him over Ironman Florida and she got we had her get tested in Minnesota to make sure that she was clear before she drove down and we'll have her do the same again. And um you know, I train with the same two people, Justin Darren Ken, and Kenneth Peterson. Um each time. So it's like we we kind of have our quarantine. Um I heard that term before. <laughs> so so now I'm cool because I used it. Uh no, so we, we we're just like we, we kinda of trust each other and um kind of stick to that. Like Xana hasn't been going out as far as when it comes to socializing, she's doing work, but in in the real estate business, they're pretty dialed with, right. um, their mass social distancing and, um, different protocols when it comes to showings. So, I mean, we're just kind of doing we're our own thing. Doing thing. I think Xana's in the other room dancing with Cruz right now. Like she's having <laughs> fun. So yeah, we're making it work and staying healthy.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely gotta be a little bit stressful with, um, you know, trying to balance it all. Cause you are, so you got a wild card, to the daytona race the pto championships in daytona why i thought you were in the top i would have guessed you were in the top ranking why did you end up with a wild card was i not paying attention
2: yeah well i wasn't paying attention either and then i was (laughs) like holy shit i'm 73rd or something and it yeah no i just don't have the quality the volume of racing Mm. i was so uh prior to my new coach, I just had been injured and, you know, i only only race half a year for the last two years, mm-hmm. three years. Um, so it's pretty frustrating in that sense, even though some of the races are quality, uh, it just wasn't the volume that the algorithm that they used, which I think was, was smart. They needed to set a standard with, uh, God, what's his name? Torsten. Um, yep. Yep. So he, his algorithm, and, uh, yeah, so I have no issues with how that, how that turned out because you need to start somewhere with the PTO and it might change going forward, but, um, I just didn't fit the mold for that top 40 and, but I'm stoked but you a so how wild do you, card. I got yeah, the wild card. I
0: was going to say, how did you get one of those? Everybody was asking, everybody wanted one. People were like, how do I get a wild? How did you get, how does that, <laughs> how did that work?
2: <laughs> it was... You know, I have no idea. So, there's <laughs> there's an athlete board and a non-athlete board on the PTO, and they all get to vote. Mm-hmm. So, it was all 100% up to them on who gets the wild card. Um. So, yeah.
0: Okay.
2: I mean, I made the cut, and I'm, you know, I, 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 I feel honored because I was 73rd or 7. I was in the, you know, mid-70s in my rankings, so there was a good 30 30 people ahead of me that -hmm. they could have chosen and for me to make uh was it 10 guys something like that no four eight guys i think anyhow so yeah no it's it's pretty cool that they see the value in me to be part of the pdo championship so i was honored for sure
0: and do you think, I mean, so that's a shorter race. It's even like shorter than a half, which is why it's gonna be yeah. really interesting with the ITU people. And I feel like you're more of a Ironman athlete. Like, how do you feel like this is all gonna work out?
2: Yeah, I've, I've, I've had some good success at at half irons. Um, and I think it's gonna work out well for us because it's gonna be a 20 meter draft rule. I think if it was a tighter draft rule, then it wouldn't it would kind of suck. So <laughs> I think, I think that's really gonna. And fifty miles is, you know, still quite quite a distance. Those ITU guys, they're just max forty k. Are
0: so, they not doing it all inside the track? Then you're like going outside the stadium.
2: I believe it's all on the track. Oh, okay, okay. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that that's it's all thought. on the track. <laughs> um, two and a half miles long. <laughs> I've heard some, heard some talk of some of the, like the Uber swimmers who are like, yeah, I I hope we get out there and we lap some of those slow swimmers. (laughs) So uh, I think it's, yeah, that's cool. Um, And uh, I think, I I don't know, I think, I think it's actually going to fit, fit even the longer distance athletes.
0: Okay. Okay. What do you think is your, um. Like kind of, you know, if we get back to racing next year and everything like normal, what kind of is your goal is your plan? Is it Ironman? Is it Kona? Is it what? What do you want to do?
2: Yeah. No, I, we, I don't know what the PTO future looks like. Mm-hmm. And so far, PTO is like has been extremely supportive of us. Um, I've only done one Ironman brand race this year. I did qualify for Kona. So and currently... That is the pinnacle of our sport, the race. And so as of now, that still is right. the, the goal. And the PTO's championship qualification is based on your races, whether it's Challenge, whether it's Ironman, mm-hmm. whether it's... Well, actually, I, I don't know what other races would be involved in that. So racing Ironman races, which I... Extreme way more prevalent in North America, um, are you know still on the list? Like it.
0: Well, yeah, like I meant the distance. Because... Sorry, I meant the distance, not the, the uh, brand. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, um, I'll still do it. I'll do an,
2: you know, early mid season Ironman, yeah. and then Kona, and then you kind of pepper in seventy point threes to kind of fill the kind of fill the gaps. So start out with. Um, yeah, you kind of you st- pick pick the Ironmans and then first and then pick the seventy point threes in between. And uh, is Saint George? I'd have to look at the dates, but Saint George seventy point threes next year.
0: May first, yeah. I was just looking at it yeah. yesterday, yeah. And that's early, yeah. Mm-hmm. So
2: that's definitely on there. So I'll race that, and that would be a that'd be a big race. And
0: yeah, it's going to be big.
2: Glad that it's local, yeah. so definitely do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, next year's gonna be interesting for sure. Do you have a, I mean, so you were 10th, obviously, at Kona this year, is there like, I want to get fifth, and then I want to get third? Is there like a plan, like a multi year plan here? Are you like, we'll just see how it goes?
2: No, totally see how it goes. (laughs) But I definitely think that if you want to win Kona, you have to go for it. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't just show up to the line, I'm as fit as I can be. I'm gonna race a conservative race. And it's gonna get me first. No, you can't. You can't do that at Kona. You have to make, um, you have to make uh, risks and hope that it hangs on, and hope that you finish. You cross the finish line first. So, like in a normal Ironman, with you know a handful of handful of competitors, you can just kind of show up, fit, race conserve, or not conservatively, but race smart, and um, you 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 could win not at Kona you got to go for it so I think that's going to be a few years
0: okay before you like are like all right I'm going I'm going for it yeah
2: like you make those you make those risks and hope that you don't fall off
0: (laughs) it happens right
2: (laughs) it does happen yeah it happens quite often
0: who is your new coach you said you started with a new coach
2: yeah Ben Day okay yep He's a cycling coach and just a overall brilliant man from Australia. So he's been really good. And I think his style of training just works for my physiology. So
0: Hmm.
2: we mesh mesh really well.
0: How do you, I think is something like our readers probably are interested in. How do you go about figuring out if your physiology meshes with the style, like who works and who doesn't for you?
2: I don't know. I think (laughs) some, some people go, well, I was five years with my old coach and we've had a lot of great success. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, I just kind of hit a plateau and just needed to move on. And you've seen that with other athletes too. You know, once you, um, I mean that, that, that coach and the athlete relationship are probably, you know, amazing, but at some point you just kind of have to move on. And, um, that's kind of where I was at. So, uh, some for some people it might take years, and and it, it, that's kind of the unfortunate thing is that it's, it'll probably take a full year for you to kind of really realize it. Right. And for some people, it might be, have been a total waste of a year. For some people, you know, it might have just you might have just kind of leveled off. It wasn't good, it wasn't bad, but yeah, time to maybe realize that it wasn't for you.
0: That's very stressful. I feel like that's very stressful.
2: It's very stressful because <laughs> you you hire a coach with all. With all trust, I'm a very coachable athlete. I feel, um, so, I, yeah. So I put a hundred percent trust into my coach, and yeah, it's a gamble huh. for sure. All
0: right, are you yeah. still um, talking about training topics? Are you still plant based? Oh uh, yeah, yeah.
2: I probably I eat meat every ten days, I oh, suppose. Okay. Yeah, like uh, got tacos the other night ordered in and they messed up a bean taco and i'm like well the damage is already done like it's it started as an environmental um aspect for me right and um so you know if i'm not buying meat i'm just helping out yeah in in that way but they had put meat on my supposed being taco and I'm like well I'm gonna eat it because now that defeats the purpose so
0: you're not a waster uh, right
2: I'm not a waster yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah no I, I've been I've been feeling better on it though
0: yeah I mean we obviously we have a lot of people who are very interested about it how does that change your you know training and race nutrition at all does it
2: It does. I I feel like I'm not able to carb load as easy, which I find very interesting because carb load is not a protein (laughs) and you should just be able to carb load as, as a, um, a semi vegetarian. And, um, it, I am yeah, I'm having struggles. I'm I'm having to eat a lot and really having to salt load and, Hmm. um, in Cozumel that I ran into an issue with that. And then even on the the run at Florida, I ran into an issue. So I'm learning. Um, fortunately, at Ironman, I was able to hold on and didn't have to cramp out or pull out. And um, so hopefully with the next race, I'll get it even more dialed. But yeah, it's actually been a learning experience. And doing my research on that hasn't really given me... Much light um, on how to fix it. So
0: yeah, I've never heard that before. Just, huh.
2: Yeah, so it might be personal, huh. um, but yeah, I'll figure it out.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, mm. obviously, what we you do hear sometimes is like people just have struggle to get enough protein or enough calories. Period, just because they just don't adjust their diet enough.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I have no problem eating. So uh, <laughs> that that's that's fine. And the protein, um, you know, I, I have a protein shake after most sessions during right. the day, during the week. So, and we're, Zana and I are actually really good at, uh, supplementing plant-based protein <laughs> during our days. So no, I have no problem with that. And, um, no, I, I feel that's great. I just don't have those, those yo-yos that I used to have like in season, um and out off season uh with my weight. Mm-hmm. So I feel being on plant based, I'm able to just kind of stay steady. And I heard uh a smart man once said that if you're if you gain a bunch of weight in your off season compared to your in season, then your diet then you're on the wrong diet or you're on the wrong right. um on the foodie steak, Like your your fluctuation should not be fifteen pounds.
0: Oh, like no, maybe,
2: no. maybe like five, six, seven pounds, because you're, you shouldn't have to change your diet from off season to in season. You should be on the same diet that works for you, um, throughout your entire life or career. And once you figure that out, and I think I've kind of figured that out because I don't, I don't yo-yo anymore, which is, uh, really reassuring that I kind of feel that I'm, doing the right thing for my food intake
0: are you taking an off season this year i know i mean like right now you're what like a week after i'm in florida but you still have the daytona championships and like mm, looking at my calendar two and a half weeks something like that yeah so what's your are you actually gonna take a break after that
2: oh absolutely (laughs) i'll probably take all of december off after after the race and i normally do um actually i normally take all of november off and then slowly get back into it december and um, kind of take it in earnest on January 1st because nice. we usually have a team team camp then. But um, I think now I'll take all of December off, and our team camp might get pushed off uh, because of COVID reasons mm-hmm. or pushback. back. So um, yeah, we'll see. Usually, I, I like to start the year off with um, Doug on it. What's that, uh, the race in California, the big one? Oceanside, Oceanside
0: yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. I just like to start it off with that. And uh, last year, that was the first race to get canceled. Mm-hmm. Uh, or this year, this year. God, it feels like it's been three years already. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so I like to kick that off first and get one under the belt before we move forward.
0: Okay. All right. So you are going to take an off season. You're kind of like recovering a little bit right now from Florida and you have like another week or so of training, hard training left. Yep. Okay. Okay. Um,
2: yeah, I feel like the, the base fitness is there. I think just sharpening up, making sure I'm recovered and go into Daytona. I mean, the haze in the barn right now after coming out of Ironman, Florida, there's not much I can do. Maybe do a few extra fast fifties in the pool, but, um, it's hard to say that you really could press it. Trying to eke out that, eke out something that you may not have, but yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, it, it, you have no idea like what this race is going to be like, no. how everyone else is going to show up. If anyone else is going to show up, um, <laughs> So, you think it's yeah, just going to be you goes. and
0: uh, Sam Long in Daytona?
2: <laughs> Me and Sam Long, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I heard that there's a bunch of other people that got some non, not necessarily wild cards, but USHE had a few
0: invites, yeah. A
2: uh, few invites, and Challenge had a few invites. So, I keep seeing other people that are going, and I'm like, oh, I guess the wild card. Because uh, everyone feel else sp- got a wild card too, but oh, uh, no, that's all right. You
0: don't feel as special. It's okay. All right. No. Yeah. All right. Here's my. Uh, usually we finish with a would you rather. Here's my would you rather for you. Okay. Okay. Would you rather go all in on a race and try and win it, but blow up and come you know last, or play it steady and like know you're going to get second or third? Blow up. <laughs> You're like one hundred percent.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't go to do a race like, oh, I'm gonna fourth, third, yeah, that's all right with me. No, I I couldn't do that. I couldn't I couldn't come home and look my wife in the eye and be like, I did all I could for that fourth place, you know? And uh <laughs> no she would and she too would rather have me blow up. So
0: Okay. You think she'd be like, No, no, try again.
2: Yeah, exactly. She's like, you didn't try hard enough. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, there you go. Um, yeah, she's like, I did not stay up all those nights with the baby for
2: this. <laughs> <laughs> totally. She would throw that in my face. She absolutely would. She's actually one of my hardest critics and I love her for that. You can't, you can't be surrounded by people who give you attaboys constantly. Like you need someone to knock you down to size and Zana? If, if I don't, if you, I don't think you've met her, Kelly. No. Um, but uh, yeah, she's, she's a great person, but she speaks her mind and she's, she definitely speaks her mind to me. So.
0: <laughs> well, thank yeah. you so much for chatting with us, Chris, and uh, good luck yeah, in Daytona. Course. All
2: right. Thank you. Thanks for the chat, Kelly.
0: Thanks to Joanna and Chris and to all of you. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Keep listening and keep training.